Chapter Twenty Four of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter Twenty Four: The Fire Country Again. The sun rose brightly the next morning, and when Ab, armed and watchful, rolled the big stone away and passed the smouldering fire and issued from the cave into the open, the scene he looked upon was fair in every way. Of what had been left of the great bear not a trace remained. Even the bones had been dragged into the forest by the ravening creatures who had fed there during the night. There were birds singing, and there were no enemies in sight. Ab called to Lightfoot, and the two went forth together, loving and brave, but no longer careless in that too interesting region. And so began the home life of these two people. It was, in its way, and relatively as sweet and delicious as the first home life of any loving and appreciating man and woman of today. The two were very close, as the conditions under which they lived demanded. They were the only human beings within a radius of miles. The family of the caveman of the time was serenely independent, each having its own territory, and depending upon itself for its existence. And the two troubled themselves about nothing. Who better than they could daily win the means of animal subsistence? Ab taught Lightfoot the art of cracking away the flakes of the flint nodules, and of the finer chipping and rasping which made perfect the spear and arrowheads. And never was the pupil swifter in the learning. He taught her, too, the use of his new weapon, and in all his life he did no wiser thing. It was not long before she became easily his superior with the bow, as far as her strength would allow, and her strength was far from insignificant. Her arrows flew with greater accuracy than his, though the buzzing shaft had not as yet, and did not have for many centuries later, the grey goose feather which made the doing of its mission far more certain. Lightfoot brought to the cave the caper calci, and willow grouse, and other birds which were good things for the larder, and Ab looked on admiringly. Even in their joint hunting, when there was a half-rivalry, he was happy in her. Somehow the arrow sang more merrily when it flew from Lightfoot's bow. Better than Ab, too, could the young wife do rare climbing when in a nest far out upon some branch were eggs good for roasting, and which could be reached only by a light weight. And she learned the woods about them well, and though ever dreading when alone, found where were the trees from which fell the greater store of nuts, and where, in the mud along the river's side, her long and highly educated toes could reach the clams which were excellent to feed upon. But never did the hunter leave the cave without a fear. Ever, even in the daytime, was there too much rustling among the leaves of the near forest. Ever when the day had gone was there the sound of padded feet on the sword above the cave's blocked entrance. Ever at night, looking out through the narrow space between the heaped rocks, could the two inside the cave see fears and blazing eyes, and there would come to them the sound of snarls and growls as the beasts of different quality met one another. Yet the two cared little for these fearful surroundings of the darkness. They were safe enough. In the morning there were no signs of the lurking beasts of prey. They were somewhere near, though, and waiting, and so Ab and Lightfoot had the strain of constant watchfulness upon them. It may be that because of this ever-present peril the two grew closer together. It could not well be otherwise with human beings thus bound and isolated, and facing and living upon the rest of nature, part of it seeking always their own lives. They became a wonderfully loving couple, as love went in that rude time. 
despite the too wearing outlook imposed upon them, because they were in so dangerous a locality, they were very happy. Yet one day came a difference and a hurt. Oak, apparently forgotten by others, was remembered by Ab, though never spoken of. Sometimes the man had tossed upon his bed of leaves and had muttered in his sleep, and the one word he had most often spoken in his troubled dreaming was the name of Oak. Early in their married life, Lightfoot, to whom the memory of the dead man, so little had she known him, was a far less haunting thing than to her husband, had suddenly broken a silence, saying, Where is Oak? There was no answer, but the look of the man of whom she had asked the question was such that she was glad to creep from his sight unharmed. Yet once again, months later, she forgot herself and mocked Ab when he had been boastful over some exploit of strength and courage and when he had seemed to say that he knew no fear. She, but to tease him, sprang up with a face convulsed and agonised, and with the staring eyes and hands opening and shutting, had cried out, Oak! Oak! as she had seen Ab do at night. Her mimic terror was changed on the moment into reality. With a shudder, and then with a glare in his eyes, the man leaped toward her, snatching his great axe from his belt and swinging it above her head. The woman shrieked and shrank to the ground. The man whirled the weapon aloft, and then his face twitching convulsively checked its descent. He may, in that moment, have thought of what followed the slaying of the other who had been close to him. There was no death done, but thenceforth Lightfoot never uttered aloud the name of Oak. She became more sedate and grave of bearing. The episode was but a passing, though not a forgotten one in the lives of the two. The months went by, and there were tranquil hours in the cave, as at night the weapons were shaped, and Lightfoot boasted of the arrowheads she had learned to make so well. Sometimes Old Mock would be rowed up the river to them by the sturdy and venturesome Bark, who had grown into a particularly fine youth, and who now cared for nothing more than his big brother's admiration. Between Old Mock and Lightfoot, to Ab's great delight, grew up the warmest friendship. The old man taught the woman more of the details of good arrow-making, and all he knew of woodcraft in all ways. And the lord of the place soon found his wife giving opinions with an air of the utmost knowledge and authority. Whatever came to him from her and old Mock pleased him, and when she told him of some of the finer points of arrow-making, he stretched out his brawny arms and laughed. But there came a time, a shade upon the face of the man, the incident of the talk of Oak may have brought to his mind again more freshly and keenly the memory of the fire country. There he had found safety and great comfort. Why should not he and Lightfoot seize upon this home and live there? It was a wonderful place, and warm, and there were forests at hand. He became so absorbed in his own thoughts on this great theme that the woman who was his could not understand his mood. But one day he told her of what he had been thinking and of what he had resolved upon. "'I am going to the fire-country,' he said. Armed this time with spear and axe and bow and arrow, and with food abundant in the pouch of his skin-garb, Ab left the cave in which Lightfoot was now to stay most of the time, well barricaded, for that she was to hunt afar alone in such a region was not even to be thought of. What thoughts came to the man as he traversed again the forest paths, where he had so pondered as he once ran before, can be but guessed at. Certainly he had learned no more of Oak. Lightfoot, left alone in the cave, became at once a most discreet and careful personage, for one of her buoyant and daring temperament. 
She had often taken risks since her marriage, but there was always a chance of finding within the sound of her voice her big mate, Ab, should danger overtake her. She remained close to the cave, and when early dusk came she lugged the stone barriers into place and built a night fire within the entrance. The fierce and hungry beasts of the wood came, as usual, lurking and sniffing harshly about the entrance, and when she ventured there and peered outside she saw the wicked and leering eyes. Alone and a little alarmed, she became more vengeful than she would have been with the big careless ab beside her. She would have sport with her bow. The advantage of the bow is that it requires no swing of space for its works as is demanding of the flung spear. An arrow may be sent through a mere loophole with no probable demerit as to what it will accomplish. So the woman brought her strongest bow, and far beyond the rough bow of Ab's first make was the bow they now possessed, and gathered together many of the arrows she could make so well and use so well, and thus equipped went again to the cave's entrance and through the space between the heaped rocks of the doorway sent toward the eyes of the wolf, or cave hyena, shafts to which they were unaccustomed, but which somehow pierced and could find mid-body quite as well as the caveman's spear. There was a certain comfort in the work, though it could not affect her condition in one way or another. It was only something of a gain to drive the eyes away. And Ab reached the fire valley again. He found it as comfortable and untenanted as when the leap through the ring of flame had saved his life. He clambered up the creek and wandered along its banks, where the grass was green because of the warmth about, and studied all the qualities of the naturally defended valley. I will make my home here, he said. Lightfoot shall come with me. The man returned to his cave and his lonely mate again, and told her of the fire country. He said that in the fire valley they would be safer and happier and told her how he had found an opening underneath the cliff which they could soon enlarge into a cave to meet all wants. Not that a cave was really needed in a fire valley, but they might have one if they cared, and Lightfoot was glad of the departure. The pair gathered their belongings together, and there was a long journey over again, which Ab had just accomplished, but it was far different from either journey that he had made. There with him was his wife, and he was all equipped and was to begin a new sort of life which would, he felt, be good. Lightfoot, bearing her load gallantly, was not less jubilant. As a matter of plain fact, though Lightfoot had been happy in the cave in the forest, she had always recognised certain of its disadvantages, as had, in the end, her fearless husband. It is in a general way vexations to live in a locality where, as soon as you leave your hearthstone, you incur at least a chance of an exciting and uncomfortable episode, and then lodgment in the maw of some imposing creature of the carnivora. Lightfoot was quite ready to seek with Ab the Fire Valley, of which he had so often told her. She was a plucky young matron, but there were extremes. There were no adventures on the journey worth relating. The fire valley was reached at nightfall, and the two struggled weariedly up the rugged path beside the creek, which issued from the valley's western end. As they reached the level, Ab threw down his burden, as did Lightfoot, and as the woman's eyes roved over the bright scene, she gave a great gasp of delight. "'It is our home!' she cried. They ate and slept in the light and warmth of surrounding flames, and when the day came they began the work of enlarging what was to be their cave." But though they worked earnestly, they did not care so much for the prospective shelter as they might have done. What a cave had given was warmth and safety. Here they had both, out of doors and under the clear sky. It was a new and glorious life. Sometimes, though happy, the woman worked a little wearily, 
and not long after the settlement of the two in their new home, a child was born to them, a son, robust and sturdy, who came afterward to be known as Little Mock. End of chapter 24